in God's holy word of the book of First Thessalonians. And if you will turn with me uh, in your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. We come now uh, to this last section in the book of First Thessalonians. And we began looking uh, last Lord's Day um, at uh, verses 12 and the first half of verse 13. And you remember we saw that this call to pay careful attention uh, to those who faithfully teach and proclaim the Word of God, the purpose of that is so that we all might be equipped to do what God is calling us to be and do as God's people, to be the ministers uh, of the church. All of God's people are to be serving uh, for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And we see that in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as as you are doing. And so we come now to our text again. Please give careful attention to the reading of God's fair word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, <coughs> verse 12 and following. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Thus ends the reading of God's very word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as your little children, we come now. Uh, Lord, bowing before you, rejoicing that you're our King and our Savior, our Good Shepherd. And Lord, as our Good Shepherd, uh, you have called us by name as we read there in John 10. A and Lord, you've given us ears to hear and eyes to see your glory and to hear your sweet, powerful voice calling us to trust in you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would take us by the hand as your little children, and you would lead us and grow us uh, in you, 
uh, our glorious, wonderful Savior. Lord, we beg for your presence. We ask that you would give us understanding of, of what your word uh, means. And then, Lord, you would write it upon our hearts to change us and transform us uh, to uh, uh, walk with you uh, closer and better for your praise. We cry to you, the one true living God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, today we want to continue looking uh, at these instructions. The last half of, of verse 13, be at peace among yourselves. Now, next Lord's Day, Lord willing, we're going to look at verse 14 and following that has, uh, if you will, some practical outworkings of what that pursuing of peace looks like. Um, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, and so forth. All of those things are really the application of this overarching command to live at peace with one another. And so we're going to spend uh, the few minutes that we have this morning looking at making sure that we have a clear biblical understanding and a framework of what this thing of peace is and then what it looks like to be pursuing peace, living at peace, being at peace with one another in our own homes in our church family, and then reaching out from there. Be at peace among yourselves. What is peace? Well, uh, it's very simple. Peace is the absence of war. Peace is when there were parties that were estranged, that were at hostility uh, uh, to one another, who are now reconciled and living in unity and oneness. Peace is a description of all is well, uh, that uh, I am at ease. Uh, that uh, I can relax, enjoying who God is and who I am as His uh, uh, child, His creation. And I am desiring to live in harmony uh, with those around me in His name. We see that in a number of passages, but if you'll turn with me uh, to Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, if 
uh, you don't, uh, you can look there in your bulletin. Uh, the call to worship that we had this morning. But in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 11, here we have a description of two groups of people. There were Gentiles and Jews who had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two groups were at odds with one another. They were at odds with one another because they were at odds with God. And that is a profound truth that we all need to take to heart. If you would have peace in your marriage, as parents, as brothers and sisters in your own homes, or in our church family, you cannot have peace, real peace, true peace with one another if you do not have first and foremost peace between you and the living God. That's how God gives us peace. That's how the war is ended. This enmity, this war started when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden. And this war continues apart from the grace of God, apart from God coming and securing peace and preaching peace, there can be no peace. But praise God, the God of the Bible has given His Son, as we read in Isaiah chapter 9 among a host of passages, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called what? Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And as it goes on in Isaiah chapter 9, it tells us an amazing truth. Keep your finger there at Ephesians 2. Uh, but over in Isaiah chapter 9, it tells us in verse 7, a lot of people just stop reading at verse 6, but verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. What an amazing encouraging promise God Almighty has given to us that when Messiah came, He purchased peace with His death upon the cross. And that as Jesus now has ascended on high and been seated at the Father's right hand from His throne in heaven, He reaches down by His blessed Holy Spirit and is furthering his gospel of peace. And notice what it says in verse 7. It would be wonderful enough if it just said, of his government and of peace there will be no end. Mm, that's, that's encouraging. But notice what it says. Look at verse 7. <coughs> of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Our God is at work furthering His gospel, spreading 
His mighty work of redemption further and further and capturing people, not only in the number of people, but we who have tasted of His kindness, causing us to grow more and more in our love for our great God in bearing the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God is at work. The Lord Jesus has been seated at the Father's right hand. And He is the one who alone can give this kind of peace. Well, what did He do? Well, look in Ephesians chapter 2. And here we have these two groups, Jews and Gentiles. They're not getting along. Uh, They are separated by all kinds of of ick. And Jesus is the one who comes and takes these two groups and reconciles them. By reconciling us to God in the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we are drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can picture two people here, and here's Jesus. And as these people are drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens to them? They get closer to each other as they are reconciled. To the living God. That's the picture that is painted for us here in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's writing to these Gentile Christians. In Christ Jesus, notice how all of that is changed. Look at verse 19. Those who have been reconciled in Jesus, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers. Strangers to what? We'll go back up to verse 12. Strangers to the covenants of promise. You're no longer aliens. Aliens to what? The commonwealth of Israel. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The thing that causes people to have peace one with another is we now are at peace with God. We are reconciled to God and He makes us part of His family. He puts us in His household. Reconciled in the Redeemer, His own Son who came and took on human flesh. For the purpose of living a sinless life and dying upon the cross, Jesus purchases redemption with his own blood. That's what we read here in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Who was far off? Gentiles. I was a pagan. And God brought me near. And if you love Jesus, He has brought you near, near to God 
by the blood of Jesus. We're, we have peace with God now as we read there in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The war's over. Jesus has purchased peace by laying down his own life on the cross. And that's what we read here in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Here's this description of this war between us and God, and it spills over. Uh, I've never had words with my wife that there wasn't something underlying not right between me and Jesus. And you can just think about it in your own, in your own life. Uh, if, if, if things aren't good between you and your spouse, it's because there's something wrong between uh, 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 you and the living God. And when He gives us peace, and when two people have peace together, then they can share and enjoy and mutually have that peace in Jesus. And that's what's described here with these Christians. Um, Jesus, He in His flesh broke down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And you can think about, uh, particularly here, the application is, for example, the dietary laws. He had one group of people who said, you can't eat bacon for breakfast. And the other group said, oh, I like my bacon. Now, how are these people going to live together in harmony? Well, Jesus, he removed the dividing wall. He removed the barrier of those temporary uh, uh, laws that he had given. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments here. That's the standard of right and wrong that reflects the very character of God that will stand forever. But these temporary things, like the dietary laws, uh, those uh, uh, were temporary until Christ would come. And so he then, in himself made one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. How are we reconciled to each other? It is as we are reconciled to God through the redeeming work of Jesus. And so if you find yourself at odds with another person, the reason why there is the lack of peace between us and other people is always because of the war between us and God that started in the Garden of Eden. And praise God, there is a solution. There is a remedy. His name is Jesus, the Son of God, come in the flesh. And so we keep reading. In verse 17, And he came, talking about Jesus, and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. 
For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The, the only way that people can live together in peace and harmony is through the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's a French philosopher by the name of, um, well, I can't uh, remember for sure which one right off the top of my head uh, said it, but he described people as porcupines on a cold night. Now, <clears throat> very few of us have ever actually been in close proximity to a porcupine, but what do you know about porcupines? They have quills, and they stick. And so you can just picture in your mind a porcupine on a cold night. What does the porcupine want? He wants warmth. And so these porcupines huddle up with each other, but they have quills. And so they stick each other. Ouch! And so they have to say, well, you know, we, we, we're too close. But they get cold. And so they say, well, I need warmth. And so they try to get, and they stick each other. Now this French philosopher said that that is the existence of mankind. It's just a hopeless cycle of people needing closeness, but we can't really enjoy and experience closeness because we always hurt each other. Praise God, that is not what we are left to. Jesus, he pulls our quills and heals us up so that by the grace of God in the Redeemer, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus and have the joy of living together and enjoying the peace of God together. Another passage of Scripture is over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And here we have again a description of what Jesus does to give us peace. First and foremost between us and the living God and then one with another. And so here we have in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for the love of Christ controls us. A Christian is somebody who is controlled by the love of Jesus. Uh, we're a people who do want to obey God, but it's not because we have to even though we do. But it's because we want to. The love of Jesus has captured us. And it's our joy to give ourselves to the one who laid down his life for us. Jesus said, if you love me, you would what? Keep my commandments. Um, Jesus has captured us. He died for us. And we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. We live to please him. In verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. Therefore, 
from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. How did the Apostle Paul regard Christ when he was in the flesh? He didn't think much of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he hated Christ. And he hated those who bore his name. It was his life's mission to go from city to city with the papers from the chief priests there in Jerusalem to try to find Christians and bring them to trial, to imprison them or even to execute them. That's how, Jesus, uh, that's how Paul viewed Jesus. But then the day came when the Prince of Peace captured Saul of Tarsus. And he testified in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I allow live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so that's what Paul is describing here now. How the Prince of Peace came and captured him in his grace and mercy. And Paul now is a new creation. He's a new man. Instead of being at war with God, he now loves God. Instead of hating his fellow man made in the image of God, he now loves the people around him, yearning for them to join with him to love God and delight in serving the living God. And so in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so here's this peace again now. God is, has made peace between us and the living God through the work of Jesus. And he's given us the privilege of being peacemakers. Now that's not all we are, but it is one of the character traits of a child of God. Over in Matthew chapter 5. Turn there with me. And you remember when we went through this portion of Scripture months ago, uh, look at verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Sons of God. We're sons and daughters of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the natural son, and we're all the adopted children, beloved of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the character traits of our great God is that he is a God who loves to make peace. And so we as his children in the Lord Jesus, we reflect his character. And so... We're not lobbying uh, uh, spiritual, relational Molotov cocktails uh, around in our homes or in our church family or in the workplace. Uh, uh, no, we're those who are taking the fire extinguisher of God's grace 
And whenever we see a conflict bursting forth, we're running up with God's fire extinguisher and putting that fire out. That's what God calls us to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how do we do that? What does it mean to be at peace? Well, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. God says that one of the character traits is that a Christian is somebody who loves to bend, to accommodate the people around us. But we must be very, very careful because there is a limit to our bending. And the limit to our bending is the holiness of God, the standard of God's revealed will. God says that as His children, we love to tolerate, to go along. But we cannot tolerate and we cannot go along with what God says is wrong. That's where we draw the line. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. God says that one of the character traits, it's not the only thing, but one of the character traits is that we are people who love to run after peace. You know, your brother and your sister, you come and there's one piece of pie left. And who got there first? And before you stick your fork in the piece of pie, you remember, ah, uh, I need to run after peace. And so you might say, well, here, why don't you just take that last piece? Well, or you could at least offer to have it, you know. Why don't we get a knife and cut it in half? But that's what it looks like. We're running after peace. We're, we're seeking uh, to bend, to accommodate to the needs and the desires even of, of the people around us. We're seeking to be a people who live at peace, live in harmony. But we cannot, we dare not, we will not by the grace of God do so at the expense of being faithful to Jesus of denying what he says in Holy Scripture. And you see, that's one of the, the things that has come to a head in our day and time. The transgender movement, the LGBTQ plus movement, those are all expressions of sexuality that God says is wrong, is sinful in his sight. Uh, uh, people living together who are not married, God says that's wrong. Heterosexuals living together who are not married, God says that's wrong. And we can't tolerate sin. 
And so that's what peace looks like. That's what it looks like to pursue peace. We want to bend, but we can't compromise what God says. Over in the book of Romans, chapter 12, and if you'll turn there with me, when a breach has taken place, what do we do? Well, in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Here's this picture of, of living together um, in, in, in harmony, in peace. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And that's the exact same word that we find over here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Be at peace. Here it is. God says, live peaceably, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace. But when people encourage you or ask you to participate in rebellion against Jesus, you can't. You have to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't go along with that. That's not right in God's sight. Let me show you here in God's Word. Um, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not... Over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so we fight against evil when there's a breach that takes place. God calls us to be peacemakers. God calls us to show the mercy and the love of Jesus to those who are seeking to give us a hard time. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Here is one of the most often misapplied passages in the whole of the Bible in our day and time. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, a lot of people, that's all they read. Judge not. You shouldn't judge. You hear it all the time. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying in this passage... Be careful how you judge. Look the next verse. Verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye, or how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take this speck 
out of your brother's eye. God warns us as we are seeking to help people secure peace that we need to do so humbly. We need to first take the log, and what a picture Jesus paints, taking the log out of your own eye so that we can see to get the speck out of our brother's eye. A log, and so here's the picture. Henry comes up to you and he says, you know, I really think you need to clean your messy desk. You know, I visited in your home and your desk is kind of cluttered and messy. Well, if you know anything about Henry's desk, you know what you would think? You'd go, are you kidding me? You have the nerve to tell me that I have a few papers that are out of, out of place on my desk when Henry's desk is piled with stacks of books and with all kinds. I mean, how he finds anything on his desk. It's just a mystery to me. And here he is telling me I need to clean my desk when his looks like an atomic bomb went off on it. The nerve. God says we need to take the log out of our own eye. And that means that we humble ourselves before the Lord and we apply His standard of right and wrong to ourselves first. And it changes the way we view other people. We go to them humbly saying, you know, I, I, struggle, I struggle with sin too. It may be that exact same sin or it may be another sin, but... It's only by the grace of God that we have peace with God. And if there's somebody who's struggling and they're at war with God and at war with us, uh, the only reason we're not in that same condition is God's mercy to us in Christ. And that ought to really change the way we talk to each other as husband and wife and parents and children and brothers and sisters. We take the log out of our own eye and then we can see clearly after we do that to help our brother get the speck out of their eye. There is another passage of Scripture and we'll, we'll close with this over in Matthew chapter 18. God says, here's what you need to do to pursue peace. In verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's what it looks like to be pursuing peace. And in Matthew chapter 5, the Lord says, if you're going to worship and you remember somebody has something against you. Before you offer your gift to the Lord, you, you say, I want to go and seek to be reconciled uh, with this person. Romans 12, insofar as it depends on you, seek to live at peace with all men. Well, what do you do if you go to your brother, you've taken the log out of your own eye, and you're trying to help them with the speck in their eye, and they listen to you. They repent, and you're reconciled, and you can forgive 
each other. And that relationship is restored. But what if that doesn't work? Look at the next phrase. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. God says you are to take somebody else with you and to sit down with them asking them to be reconciled. And you have witnesses there. And if they repent, praise God. And you can ask forgiveness and grant forgiveness and that relationship is restored. But what if that doesn't work? Look at verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This two or three is this reference to those who are seeking to be reconciled. And the church has the responsibility of uh, pursuing reconciliation with those who are having a hard time living at peace together. The church in our day and time has failed badly in practicing this very thing. When I was a little boy, my grandparents, they were farmers and we would go and visit them and a lot of times it was a four and a half, five hour drive. Uh, we would get there late Friday night when we would go visit. And my granny would always pop popcorn for us. And that was what we looked forward to, is jumping out of the car, running inside, and ah, oh, popcorn. And one night we ran into the old part of the kitchen, a big 12 foot ceiling, and little Henry noticed something very odd. There was this big green blotch on Granny's ceiling in the kitchen. And obviously it demanded explanation. And so this little five-year-old uh, says, Granny, what's that green on your ceiling? And my granny changed the subject and, you know, started working on the popcorn, and I, I ask again, Granny, why is that green on your ceiling? And finally, my mama took me aside and said, Henry, please be quiet. Granny doesn't want to talk about it. Well, she had gotten busy earlier in the day cooking green beans in her pressure cooker. And praise God, it was a pressure cooker that had a safety valve in it because she had gotten busy with her preparations and forgotten all about the green beans. And the pressure built and built and built 
until finally that pressure valve exploded. And all of those green beans that were in the pressure cooker ended up on the ceiling. And it was so tall a ceiling she couldn't get up and clean it off. And my dad did that the next day. But praise God for that pressure valve. She wasn't killed. Before pressure cookers had pressure valves, they would literally explode when people would forget about them. Now this is God's pressure valve. Oh, it's not fun. It's not fun to go to somebody and say, you know, there's something between us and I'm pleading with you to repent so that we can be reconciled. But that's God's safety valve. And if that doesn't work, then you get somebody else to go with you. Not fun. But oh, what a blessing it is to follow Jesus. And when there is relief. And if that doesn't work, to go to the church. And here it's not talking about you stand up in a worship service and say, I got something to say to the church. Uh, My husband is a sorry, good-for-nothing rascal. That's not what this passage is teaching. What it is describing is what we see over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul says about people there in the church of Corinth who were having a hard time living at peace together. He says, aren't there some men who are wise in your midst who could help you sort this out? Picturing this very thing of the elders of the church hearing a dispute and with wisdom and compassion applying the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus, to that controversy to help people see what they need to repent of or if it's just a matter of preference, you know, you need to be willing to bend. Well, that's what Jesus pictures for us. And so, God calls us to be peacemakers. And if you and I are those who belong to the Prince of Peace, we want to walk with Jesus. And we want to keep that peace intact by keeping a good conscience. You want to repent of sin when you stumble. You don't want to let sin just go. You want to keep close accounts with the Lord Jesus. And the Lord tells us that if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we want to be peacemakers. We want to be praying for those around us and helping each other love Jesus. And keep close to Him. Husbands and wives. Parents and children. Brothers and sisters in our church family. And so next week we'll pick it up there. Looking at these practical instructions now. uh, of, Of various scenarios where God calls us to be peacemakers. Praise God for the Prince of Peace. Praise God that there's hope for ourselves. 
in Jesus. There's hope for our homes in Jesus. There's hope for this church family in Jesus. There's hope for this community and this country in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we thank you for your holy word. We beg that you would write it upon our hearts. And as we sing, uh, more about Jesus would I know. More of his saving grace to others show. Lord, give us grace to mean that from the heart. And you, Lord Jesus, help us by your spirit to do it for your praise. In Jesus we pray, amen.